0: Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going to be at this morning. If you would do me the honor, open up God's word to Daniel chapter 5. Seriously, that was good. Uh, man, pray like that this week. You'll have a great week. Amen? Man, it is good to be in community gospel church this morning. You guys are so fun. Bethany and I just love being a part of uh, what CGC is doing. They got like a little adult youth group going on right here. <laughs> Look at this. That whole section, you, this whole section, all of you just grown. And you know, we're just so proud of all you little. Tikes, it's awesome. <laughs> Look at you, high school kids. They're giving you a run for your money. You better step your game up. You know what I'm saying? You guys too, all over the place. There's pockets just growing at community gospel. It's cool to see. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter five as we start this morning. I got a question for you, and Dan, if you do me the favor, would you go back uh, to the song we just sang? Not the nothing but the blood one, but go to the the last like two lines of um, the the very last song that we sang. Uh, for I his uh, go Keep going. One more. There's a there's a line in it. I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. But um, there's a line in what we in what we sang. Um, Becky and I sang about if we're out, we're at the end, right? Like we're almost done. Until He returns or calls us home. That's what the the line says. I don't know if you can find it or not. But until He returns or calls us home, you know, it's interesting that we so flippantly just kind of sing those words that we just say, "Till He returns or calls us home," and we just kind of. Echo that within the church with everybody else that's saying it. But as I was standing in the back and singing those words, I stopped and I thought to myself, do I really believe that as a Christian? Like, do you really believe that? Tomorrow is not guaranteed. And today, the day that we stand here, if we believe what God's word says based off of what Daniel preached, that we are in the last quote unquote kingdom until Jesus returns or calls us home. Do you realize that? Like this is the end times, you're, you're, you're done, the, the timeline is, is right here, and now we're waiting till Jesus either calls us home or returns. And if today was going to be your last day, like if this was it, and it's over after today, like you walk out of this church and boom, Jesus returns or calls us home or calls you home today, what would you do? You know, it's interesting, I thought about that all week long, like what would I do? And I cannot think of another place that I would want to be except for here today talking about God's word and what it means and seeing how Jesus is just moving through Bremen and all the surrounding communities. It is awesome to watch in your lives. We know some of the things that are going on and I hope that you have the same kind of mentality and the mindset that you see that being here in this place at this moment called to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are lost and making his son known is just an awesome and a high honor. Do you realize that? Like how much of an honor that is for us as Christians to be able to tell somebody who's lost. Now, yeah, absolutely, I love it. All right, so and we get into Daniel chapter five, and you see um, in Daniel chapter five, he's essentially gonna give like five warnings for those of us who are living in end times. And Daniel was... Uh, somebody who, as we know, in chapter 1 was a captive. He was taken from his home into this place called Babylon, and he was forced to live there as a a Jewish exile. And so his parents had oppressed the truth on his heart. And like I said, Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time, had a dream, and that dream essentially was that the uh, Babylonian Empire would fall, and then all these other kingdoms would come up, and they would all fall, but Jesus' kingdom would come, and he would return and call us home, right? So that's kind of where we're at. We get into Daniel chapter 5, and we realize that there's kind of five warnings, and I don't think that Daniel probably knew this, but they're interesting because they apply to us as well. So we'll see if we can identify all five of these this morning and uh, and work on those things. Um, I was going to pray, but seriously, he did such a good job with that, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to, like, I'm still wrestling with that in my head, all right, so five, verse one, okay, we have a new king, his name is Belshazzar, and this king um, is essentially uh, somebody who comes up to rule Babylon, and we ask the question before we even start in the text, how did he get there, okay, how did Belshazzar get to be king, I'm glad you asked, and for those of you who want to know, I'm going to tell you. If you go back into 2 Kings, you don't have to go there. I'll go there for you, okay? 2 Kings chapter 25, we pick up at verse 27, and it says, in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, just given some dates here, on the 27th day of the month, there was a guy, his name, no joke, was Evil Marachda, okay? Or Eval is how you would pronounce it in the Old Testament. It's just easier for me to say Evil because that makes sense, and I think it's funny. All right, so... King of Babylon in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. The king of Judah being Judas or, or being Jewish. Okay, so he frees them. Now, how did he get to be king? So I'm just going to give you a crash course on this. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar took the throne from his father and he ruled the kingdom half of the, for half of his time there with an essentially secular viewpoint of the world. Then all of a sudden, as we saw in last week in chapter 4, God gets a hold of his heart, and he starts to turn Babylon over to more of a Jewish influence with the living God. Okay, So underneath of Nebuchadnezzar, we see this Abel-Mekdot come into play, and he is his son. Now, there's family strife that goes on within the kingdom. Imagine that. And what happens is his brother-in-law kills him. And so he is um, no longer the king. Obviously, he has an infant son, and he gives the kingdom over to his infant son. I don't know if you know this or not, but infants don't really rule kingdoms that well. All right, so what happens is we see uh, in Jeremiah chapter 39 the possibility and this is debated amongst the scholars but there's a possibility that there was kind of like an interim king and he was there for about five years and what happened is the priests saw all of this take place and they started to revolt okay and they were like hey these kings are doing a horrible job they're coming in and they started to revolt but also they saw the Jewish influence that was happening, and so it just kind of made sense that the priests would come in and participate in ruling the kingdom, because in the Old Testament, as well as some of the New Testament, we see that politics and religion went hand in hand, okay? So in those times, if you were to do something that was against the law, you probably would have gone to the priests in order to have been, uh, have your like kind of, uh, case heard, for lack of a better word. And so we see here that there was a guy who was essentially an interim, but the priests come in, and there was a priest. His name was Nabalus, and I probably messed that up, but that's okay. He liked education and religion more than being a king, which is obviously something that I would have probably had. i been like, man, I don't want to rule the kingdom. And so he appoints, you ready for this? A guy named Belshazzar, to essentially run the kingdom for him. So the true king is this guy named Nabalus, which is a priest who was under Nebuchadnezzar, but now we see that he appoints Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. Caught up? All right, good. All right, so Belshazzar is having a great feast, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but he is not a righteous king king he's throwing a huge party he's got a table up here and he's like we're gonna get slammed while everybody else watches us and watches this takes place because he wants to see people see him in power he's more concerned about himself than he is about the living God and he needs to change his direction Verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought in, that the king, his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. He has no uh, even remote respect for Babylon or for Jewish tradition. He's bringing Nebuchadnezzar's stuff in. He's breaking essentially all of those glass cupboards that have all the artifacts in them and he's like let's bring all these in let's put these all on the table so people can see how great i am i could care less about babylon it's all about me keep going then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple the house of god in jerusalem and the king and his lords his wives his concubines drank from them they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold silver bronze iron wood and stone so it's not enough that they take the artifacts out of the cabinets from Babylon. They also start ripping out the artifacts from the Jews. If you were a Jew in that day, you would have been irate. He is taking all the things that they used to worship with, and he's using them for himself. And so he finds himself at this table. It's as if Donald Trump himself would go into Congress and just start breaking like the Constitution because he wants the original copy for himself, which is probably not... Never mind. Okay, so, (laughs) they just go in and they plunder all of this stuff. Immediately, verse 5, okay? The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of a wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Everybody probably would have gone at the same time, uh-oh. Oh, Oh, man, what is going on? Before we go further into this, I want to pull one thing out of it. That is the first sign for us who are living in the end times. Write this down. There has to be a destruction of idolatry. There has to be a destruction of idolatry. If you notice, in verse 4, they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All of these people, all gathered collectively together, were in worship of other things opposite of the living God who was Daniel's God. This was the society making their stance that their gods are greater than the living God. Now we as a society sitting here would say that this is Daniel's day and this is Belshazzar's kingdom. It has no parallels between us and our society. That's not true. There's so many parallels that are happening here because our society that we live in constantly screams out for your attention for your money, for your time, for everything that you have to offer that you would worship yourself, which is exactly what Belshazzar's doing as he's sitting at this table. He's saying, there's no living God. There's no God in general. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just have a good time. And what happens here is the Jews in the back are going, I don't think this is a real good idea. I don't think that this is something that is edifying, and I also think this is something that you're going to anger the living God. The lack of us destroying our idols kindles the anger of God. When you choose to refuse to destroy the one thing that controls you, you are kindling the anger of the Lord against you. When you choose to go and worship anything that is not the living God, you are kindling the Lord's anger against you, and it will come. God says in Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. And so the question on the table this morning, before we go any further, is very parallel to the prayer that Becky prayed. What is the thing in which you worship? And I can guarantee you that if you were to really rack your brain, you could write it down right now on the slip that was given to you. And you could say, this is the thing that not only I worship, but it's the thing that controls me. Those of you who are racking your brain and you can't think could be your phone. It could be your favorite sports team. It could be your money. It could be your car. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. There are so many things that consume and control us. And when we acknowledge that we worship them, it's the first step to allowing the anger of the Lord to essentially go down. And so we have to destroy our idols. What is the one thing that controls you and consumes you and that you worship. Now, those of us who are married, if you're still having trouble, just ask your wife after service or ask your husband, and they will tell you exactly what you worship. If you don't have a husband or a wife, because I know some of you are going to go that direction, check your bank account and see what you spend money on. And I'll tell you, there's probably one thing within that bank account that I could say, yep, that's it right there. Now, the king's going to get this in a second. He's going to get that he's got to destroy those idols. But go, <clears throat> um, there's a couple of other things. The idols and the covetousness are a huge problem. I'm going to give you two verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, because some of us look at this and we go, this is an Old Testament text, and I think I have this on the screen. Correct, Dan? Do I have Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5? Don't worry about it. I got it in my Bible. And <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. See, this is why you have a written version of the Bible, because when technology fails, paper never does that's freebie you can have that five verse five for you may be sure of this you christians those of us who have confessed with our mouth and believe in our heart that jesus christ is lord everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance of the kingdom of god how do we know that Because Jesus himself said in Matthew, you cannot serve two masters. You will end up loving one and hating the other. Your love for one of your idols leaves your true master by himself. So you're limiting your spiritual growth by consuming yourself with that which you worship. Does that make sense? Okay. So some of you say, Jordan, I want to grow spiritually. I want to grow in my relationship with my Lord. With the Lord, I want to grow in relationship with my husband, and we're going to grow in a relationship with my wife, with my kids. Well, then you have to be consumed with Jesus Christ. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will see gains in your marriage, with your kids, in your job. It just happens. Okay. <clears throat> Daniel saw it, even though he was a slave. Okay, so go back, Daniel chapter 5. Immediately, the fingers, verse 5, of the human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Whew, of the king's palace opposite of the lampstand. The king saw the hand as it wrote, and then the king's color changed. <laughs> oh, man, you got to love biblical writers. All right, His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me the interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, Belshazzar was a little slow because he didn't learn from the past, right? He doesn't learn. Who else did this? Nebuchadnezzar did it all the time. Nebuchadnezzar was one of those guys who called in all the people of Babylon because he wanted Babylon to be exalted instead of the living God. And so we get here and we see that there's no trust from Belshazzar in the living God. And so for us who are here today, we learn the second thing, which is the trust has to be in the Lord and not in the idol. So you see that Belshazzar is reaching out to trust his country and not his God. And not Daniel's God. And there's a problem with that because what happens is he does two things that all of us are guilty of doing. When we lose trust in our Lord and focus on that which we worship, watch this. We start to call, I'm going to give you two things here that he does. We call in crooked people, it's a slippery slope that happens. When we lose trust in the Lord and we worship the idol, we start calling in crooked people and the slippery slope happens and then you find yourself in a state of distress and you wonder how you got there. And I look at you and I say, I know exactly how you got there. You took your focus off the Lord, you placed it in something that is not eternal and therefore your trust is over here and you're calling in all of these people and you're surrounding yourself around people who are not people of God, they're people who only care about themselves. And that's the Chaldeans, the astrologers, and all of the enchanters that Belshazzar brings in. So, the second thing he does, which I think is interesting, is he offers earthly rewards. Now, if we were to do a study of this passage, the rewards that Belshazzar offers, if you were a Jew, would have offended you like you would not believe. It is believed that the reward of a purple robe would have been Mordecai's robe from Esther. Remember, he plunders or pulls out all the Jewish artifacts. And so in Esther chapter 8, we see that Mordecai's robe was purple. And what he's saying is, the Jews aren't that great, we're great, and I will clothe you with the things that the Jews have so that you look religious, Because that's what the world does. The world desires to look religious, but we don't have religion, we have relationship with Jesus. Amen? And so when we look at the world, we can spot a counterfeit because we say, you just have the external going on, but we have the internal, which is heart transformation. So Belshazzar is going to clothe them with Mordecai's robe. He's going to put them around him, and he's going, to, he's going to display them in Babylon and say, look, they're better than the Jewish people. But all the Jewish people would have looked at it and said, they don't have internal heart transformation, just as Nebuchadnezzar. Second thing, which would have been Joseph's chain, which would have been Genesis chapter 4. And so we see that there's some artifacts that are pulled. And again, you're just trusting in stuff. Who cares? <clears throat> now, go to verse uh, 8. Then all the king's wise men came in, but none of them could read the writing on the wall or make known the king its interpretation. So King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed again. So he's been gone from purple to pink to turquoise to teal. And his lords were, circle the word in your Bible, perplexed. They were perplexed. That word perplexed means um, anxious. It means that they were completely... Um, in confusion, the wall consumed them. Have you ever been in that spot where something just consumes you? That's all you can think about. That's all you that's all you think about. That's all I mean it just it just consumes your soul. And notice Belshazzar is focused on that which is earthly and not which is eternal. And it would be the same question that comes to us here this morning. What consumes you that you are so dominantly focused on that it pulls you away from a true worship with Jesus. Look at Belshazzar. He is the perfect case of what a secular person who is lost looks like. The chase after that which is eternal and the trust in that which is not the living God. And they're so lost and the heart is so hard, they can't even see straight. I just need this problem solved and everything will go away. You ever been in that boat? I just need this problem solved, and it will all go away. Let me tell you something. In this world, you will have troubles, troubles upon troubles. There are going to be things that happen all the time. But the people who remain constant and steadfast are those people who trust in the Lord and are willing to remove the idol and let God be God and do his work and his will in their lives, regardless of the situations and circumstances. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's three, or uh, Daniel's three friends? If you kill us, so what? What's going to happen? We'll go live with the living God. We don't care. You do what you have to do, we'll do what we have to do. Same thing with your idols and trusting in the Lord. You look at them and you say, you do what you have to do. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3, <clears throat> verse uh, 5 says this. <clears throat> this is a good proverb for you. I'm going to give you a uh, a little bit of a, a help. If you, uh, My dad said this to me a long time ago. He said, if you want to be a smart, wise person, you read a proverb a day, and it keeps the devil at bay. You didn't say the devil at bay part. I made that up. Yeah, okay. Proverbs, a a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. There's 31 days in most months. The months that fall short, like February has 28. I just did the song in my head. You just go ahead and skip the last two or read them as supplemental, okay? Proverb a day. Read a proverb a day, okay? If the day is the fourth, you read Proverbs chapter four. Watch this. Proverbs chapter five speaks specifically about trusting in the Lord. Proverbs chapter, or sorry, three verse five, my fault. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, not just some, it doesn't say some of your ways, it says all of your ways, you acknowledge him, you trust in him, you put your faith in him, and he will make, your, make straight your paths. You're not wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see that? Internal transformation off of turning away from the idols that we have, trusting in the Lord. Nothing earthly can give you what God can eternally bless you with. That's how it works. So, Daniel, what's going on here? All right. Ten. This is my favorite verse in the whole book of Daniel. The queen, I hope you guys get a kick out of this like I did. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet hall she's not there and this is not the queen being belshazzar's wife this is grandma (laughs) okay and i don't know how you grew up but grandma some of my friends grandma we were more scared of grandma amen than we were of mom and other people's moms like grandma came in we're like oh man here we go so grandma you can put that up there on your bible in verse 10 because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall and she declared, and I think if I understand the Hebrew correctly, she is speaking very, very sarcastically. Oh, king, live forever. She probably looked at him and said, you're not even the real king. (laughs) You're second in command, bro. Okay, so let, let you live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. I think she's laughing about this. There's a man... In your kingdom, who is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, who would that have been? Nebuchadnezzar. In the days of your father, uh, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in this man. Your king, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. So why don't you go ahead and call Daniel? I guarantee you he will show you the interpretation. Grandma breaks up the party to tell the king that he distinctly needs to get godly counsel. Do you realize that? She is probably... A believer. Why? Because if we go back into verse 4, we see at the same time when Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned to him, he implemented that people worship Daniel's God. Look at this. My counselors, my Lord sought me. I established in my kingdom and still more now my greatness was added to me. Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all of his works are right and all of his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. She saw it firsthand, submitted to it herself, and now you have a second generation that is coming to speak to those who are lost. Nebuchadnezzar's gone, and here this lady comes in, and she's going to break up the party, and she's going to tell them what's happening, and what's going on. Grandma knows better than anybody else, doesn't she? Oh, man, but look out for grandma. Here she comes. She's come. And she specifically says what is completely parallel in Proverbs chapter 13. In the book of Proverbs, again, you need to be reading these every day, Proverbs chapter 13, you don't have to go there. I'll go there for you. Verse 20 says, <clears throat> Whoever walks with the wise becomes, Anyone? And whoever, verse 5, excuse me, verse 20, says, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. She's seeing it firsthand manifest right in front of her face. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Okay, so let's jump to where we're at today. All of us have trials, have tribulations, and some of those just happen. They just are. But we are called to embrace godly counsel and surround ourselves around with men, those of us who are men, and women, those of us who are women, who will speak specifically into our lives about this truth that we have. We just talked about this in the 9 o'clock hour, talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We got into some terminology uh, dispute. About, well, are we allowed to judge each other or hold each other accountable? Let's just take both of those words and put them over here. And let's say, are we allowed to speak scripture into our brothers and sisters' lives? And the answer to that question is, yes, absolutely. And let me ask you a very, very serious, very to the heart question. How many times do you speak this word of God to people who are around you? And the other question is, how many times have you had this word of God spoken to you? I could tell you the opinions of all of my friends. I could tell you what they think about life. I could tell you things about love, about their wives, about their kids, all that stuff. But very rarely do I have, on a weekly basis, somebody say, Jordan, but God's word says. And why are we like that? Because we don't know it. And why don't we know it? Because we're not into it. How do we get into it? A proverb a day keeps the devil at bay. You destroy all your idols, you trust in the Lord, you embrace godly counsel, they start coming. Now watch this. The more you embrace the the Lord and what he has to offer, the more your idols leave, and the more you start gaining some new influence. And you'll look around one day and you'll be like, how did I get all these friends? I kind of like them. They speak good into my life. And you turn around and you go, thanks, Jesus. Right? But what we are programmed to is negativity negativity welcomes idolatry and idolatry loses trust and once that happens and takes place we have all these people who are around us and we think to ourselves how did we get here how do i dig myself out of the pit i'll tell you how you dig yourself out of the pit you destroy your idols you trust in the lord and you start gaining godly counsel. But Jordan, I'll be alone in my life. You don't understand. These are all of my friends. I get that all the time from high school kids. You guys tell me that all the time. If I would abandon all these people, I'll be alone. Nope, you plus Jesus equals the majority. Never forget that. Same for us as adults, it is as it is for kids. You can be alone in a room, and if Jesus is with you, you are the majority. God's word will always stand no matter what. You want a, uh, a real-life illustration? Ask Daniel and his three friends when Jesus calls us home. And they'll say it's absolutely correct, okay? <clears throat> so, let's keep going with the story. <clears throat> Embrace godly counsel. 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. Here he comes, dun-dun-dun. The king answered the dun dun dun's not in Hebrew, and said to Daniel, oh, you're Daniel. You're one of the exiles of Judah. You're a Jew whom my king, who the king my father brought from Judah. No duh. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, can't prove it, but I think, I think, when Daniel comes in, everybody gasps because he is so well known. You don't just go survive in a fiery furnace. Okay, Daniel didn't. I understand that. His three friends did. You just don't go, like, enduring trials and nobody knows about it. You know how fast word travels in Bremen, okay? Like, people knew Daniel, and when the king says this, they're probably looking at the king like, seriously? You heard? You heard? This guy's the real deal. Watch. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing to make known its interpretation, but they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But, 16, I heard, again, that you have given interpretations and solved problems. Now, If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, I'll clothe you with purple, Mordecai's robe, and have a chain of gold, Joseph's chain, wrapped around your neck, and you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. At this point, I think Daniel's so old, and he's so just taxed. You know what I mean? He's got got to just be completely exhausted. Seriously, I've been promoted and demoted more in Babylon in my whole life. Whatever. Daniel, 17, answered and said before the king, Why don't you keep your gifts for yourself? And give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll tell you what. I'll read the writing on the wall. I'll make known for you the interpretation. O king, the most high God, who gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty, 19. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages trembled before him. But not necessarily before him. Because of him, watch what he says. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. 20 is a key verse. You can underline it in your Bibles. When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory, it was taken from him. What, Nebuchad- or what Daniel's doing for Belshazzar is, watch this. We're going to pause right here in the story. He is allowing Belshazzar to learn from the past the same thing for you and I, same thing for you and I, okay? Third thing, fourth wait, fourth thing, learn from the past. you got to learn from the past. There's so many examples in the Bible that show us the pitfalls that we face as human beings and how to overcome those, those pitfalls, and that's what he's doing here for him. Look, 21, Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among the children of mankind. His mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind, sets it over him who he will. He's showing him specifically what could happen to him. He's like, if you reject the living God because I've seen it with my own eyes repeatedly over and over and over again, what will happen to those who are disobedient? As you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of the house have been brought in here before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine with them. Those of you who are older with us this morning, you get this, right? You just get so exhausted with us younger types that you're like, I'm just going to tell you what you need to hear right now. He goes right to the point, and he gets really, really specific really, really fast. Keep going. <clears throat> he says, You praised all the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, verse 23, which you do not see or hear or know, but God in whose hand is your breath and who are your ways you have not honored. And so what he says from him is he says, The worst kind of... I'm mess this up. Hold on. The worst kind of disobedience, that the king and us could do is be deliberate in our disobedience. The biggest thing that God himself hates, I think more than anything else, is when we are deliberately disobedient. This king had example after example after example after example on how to live and how to rule the kingdom, and he was deliberately disobedient over and over and over and over again. And God's anger was burning hot. What is it in your life that you know is wrong, is a sin, and you continue to do it anyway? God hates it. Just like us who are raising kids, we hate it. Amen? Amen. Like we look at our kids, you're like, oh man, you are deliberately disobeying right now. Oh, just make it so mad. Right? It's the worst. And I hate the word no. Anybody hate the word no? But then I do it all the time. I do it to God all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And I think God looks at me and goes, Jordan, you make me so mad. But I love you so much, right? That's how it works. God's a loving, heavenly Father, but he doesn't let us go unchecked. So he looks at us and he says, hey, the worst thing that you could do. God looks at us all the time he says, I don't care if you make mistakes. I understand you make mistakes. You're learning. You know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know what he calls you? He calls you infant, child. You know what infants do? Lots of weird stuff that they shouldn't do. And you know what Christians do when they come to know the Lord? Lots of stuff that they shouldn't do. Lots of stuff. And they stumble and they fall. Have you ever watched a baby try to learn how to walk? Over and over again. Boom, boom, boom. Their head's bigger than their body. It happens. It's gravity. And it's just like that for us. Like Daniel's looking at the king and he's like, listen, if you were to make bad Choices to, from ignorance, he's like, that's one thing, but you're not learning from the past. You're not learning from those who have gone before you. You're not learning from people. You're, you're not even desiring to be disciplined, to be educated in what God has for you and in store for you. He has so many things for you. You just have to discipline yourself to be like that and understand that you can learn from your mistakes. That's how we grow. You've got to learn from your mistakes because the worst kind of disobedience is deliberate. And I think with our idols and the trust that we have in them, we deliberately submit ourselves to them constantly. And I think God looks at it and we would ask the question, okay, Jordan, preacher man, what do I do then? The first step that we always miss in returning to the throne of God is approaching him in prayer. It's the first thing we always miss. You have to ask God for the desires of your heart, that you would be conformed more to his image. I don't like to read the word. So pray and ask God to give you the desire to read his word. I don't like to do this. So pray, I don't like to go to church. So pray that God would give you the desire to go to church. I don't like to be around other Christians. They drive me nuts. So pray that God would give you the desire to love his church, the family of God right? There's so many things that we look at, and God says, if you would just tell me about it, right? Those of us who are raising kids, you know what this is like, right? Your child goes and sits in their room, and you go, what's wrong? And they go, nothing. And you're like, come on, tell me what's wrong. Nothing. Tell me what's, what's going on. Over and over, day after day after day after day, and finally they come down, and they sit down, and they, and they say, dad? And you go, yeah, what's up? And you go, I want to tell you what's bothering me. Okay, let's talk. And then they talk and you go, oh my goodness, if you would have just told me sooner, I could have handled it. I would have drove to school and I would have beat that kid up for you. (laughs) Right? Like I can help you. I cannot help my children if they don't seek my help. It's the same for us in our relationship with God. And Daniel's telling that to Belshazzar. He's saying, listen, God is there, he is waiting for you to seek him, to repent of yourself and to submit to him so that he can do a great work within you. And he's saying the same thing to us today. He's saying, if you repent of yourself, I can do a great work within you. But I can't if you're clinging to these idols, trusting in yourself. And you're not learning from the past and gaining godly counsel. Let's finish the story. Okay, 24. So, then from his presence your hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. Here he tells him what's going on. He says, this is the writing that was inscribed. These are all weights or measurements. He says, many, many, tekel, parson, was in the interpretation of the matter. And it's right here. Many, God has numbered like a weight the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Man, Daniel does hard things. I know we talked about that last week, but do you see that? How difficult it would have been for him to communicate this. It's like going into the CEO's office and telling him he's doing a horrible job, okay? And that God's gonna kill him. don't do that with your bosses tomorrow that'd be bad okay pastor jordan said don't use pastor jordan said please okay you have been weighed number two in the balances and found wanting you fell short perez your kingdom is divided and now here daniel would have been overjoyed because the prophecies that he communicated started to come true do you see this Remember when he talked to Nebuchadnezzar and he said, hey, Babylon's going to fall and it will be given over to the Medes and the Persians. That's the second kingdom that he talks about in Daniel chapter two. Belteshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel probably was like, what in the world are we doing? The very night though, watch this. Belteshazzar, the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. If you knew today was the last day, what would you do? Because tomorrow's never guaranteed, and we have to focus on the fact that it could be the last day. Because number five, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's, it's coming till he returns or calls us home. Those who have their eyes focused and set on the kingdom of God understand that at any moment it can come, and our job and responsibility is to do all the above, to destroy our idols as Christians, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, embracing godly counsel, learning from the past. Where are you at this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I think the majority of the people who are gathered here have. And if you have, and you call yourself a Christian then what do you cling to? Is it Jesus Christ and his kingdom, or is it what the world has to offer? There's a guy who said, <clears throat> um, every two seconds, somebody dies. So he would come up, and he would speak when we were in college, and he said, every two seconds, somebody dies, and he would do this. Like, he would just snap his fingers. He's like, so every, every two seconds, somebody's gone. Wist into eternity. Where do you build your kingdom? Is it for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of ourselves? Something to think about. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, there's so much work that has to go on in here within ourselves for us to really see the magnitude of the scripture that we studied this morning. We have to ask you to do a great work within us. And just as Paul did in 1 Corinthians, we have to evaluate ourselves. And so this morning, as we get ready to conclude our service, I want you to do that. I want you to evaluate yourself as you're sitting in this pew. And by that, I mean I want you to pray to God and ask Him if you really, truly, genuinely mean it. And you really, truly, genuinely want some heart change to, re- to reveal to you the things that need to change about you. And you can go back and you can ask Him and say, God, reveal to me the areas in which I am faltering. That I'm not trusting in you. Could be a situation or a circumstance. Could be something that consumes you. In the quietness of the sanctuary this morning, I want you to just give that thing over to him. And by that, what we mean is, I want you to tell God, this I no longer want to be burdened with. I give it over to you. And I want you, Lord Jesus, to help me be consumed with trust. That when it, seeps up into my brain and I start to think about it that I would be reminded of the truths in scripture that say I will trust in you especially from Proverbs. If you're serious about change here this morning those of you who are far from God who've never confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart Jesus Christ the Lord that's your first step. You trust in the Lord because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's by faith that we cling to Jesus because he is the Messiah. His blood covers a multitude of sins, our sins. And when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he comes and he changes us. And now we worship him and not our idols. So if you want change here this morning and you desire it, you say, God, if you're really serious about it, it's a huge prayer. Help me to destroy my idols. Reveal them to me and help me eliminate them properly. The things that control me, the things that entangle me, the things that cause me to lose my trust in you. Lord Jesus, I would pray that you would send godly counsel to the people who are gathered here as they are making these changes, God, as they're evaluating themselves and they're seeing some of these things come to light, I pray specifically that people would start to just flock to them in the days and the weeks and the months who are godly, who love you, to encourage them. That we as a church would encourage them, We'll point each other back to Scripture, that we would be built on your kingdom and not ourselves that we would learn from our past mistakes and have the opportunity to be changed, to be transformed into your image and not our own. May we trust in your foundation and your word and your truth as we know that it is applicable for all areas of our life. We know that from what the Bible says. Help us believe that every word proves true and can be used and utilized in all areas of our life. May you do a great work in the lives of everybody gathered here, including myself. Because of what was taught this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to CommunityGospelChurch.com and click the Contribute tab.